Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today on Sketch Nerds, we'll be discussing sketches from The State and Saturday Night Live. Joining me as a host, it's Isaiah Hedden. Hello. Seth Alcorn. Hello. And from DC's Brick Penguin, it's Amy Vance. I'm Andy Weld, and our special guest today is Kurt Reedy. I didn't ask you how to pronounce your name before. Did I get it right? You killed it. Great to be on the show, Andy. I got that right, right? I mean, there's so many variations of the name Andy. Andy, Andy, I have no idea. Any any vowel sound you could make, you could end the name with. (laughs) Orlando. Um... (laughs) Well, Kurt, welcome, and we're very happy to have you on the show. Um, so let's start it off. Why don't you uh, can you tell us about your background in comedy? Sure. I like. I just thought about this today, and I'm pretty sure, like, the amount of years I've been doing sketch comedy, like, it can buy cigarettes now. Like, it's not it, technically it can't drink yet, but it can definitely buy cigarettes at this point, which is, I don't know, con- conflicted on that one. I think That's a little good. bit, but. Um, uh, so I've been with uh, the sketch troupe High Drama, based out of Philadelphia here, um, since about 2012. You know, when they they said the whole world was going to end, instead we formed a sketch troupe. So that's kind of what happened there. Um, and then, so I've been with them since uh, yeah. So that's just been about nine years now. And um, I joined in as a producer for Philly Sketch Fest in i want to say 2014 was like my first year helping out with that and then i've been uh producing that show for for almost seven years now which has been a wild wild journey but it's been amazing being able to meet and uh hang out with and interact with so many amazing sketch troops from up and down the east coast and and old canada too yeah well let's start with let's start with high drama then so that goes back so how do you how do you get into high how do you join high drama in the first place were you looking for a sketch group was it something like how did how did that come about so i stumbled into it so i was originally in a sketch group back in like the lehigh valley which is like the allentown bethlehem area of pennsylvania um so i was in that for a few years and then actually moved to the philadelphia area and started working at this like it was originally like this like e-commerce computer website. Then they bought like a Mustang retailer website. Then all of a sudden we became about selling Mustangs. And I'm like, this is not anything in the wheelhouse of what I like. <laughs> but uh, the nice thing about that was that I met uh, met up with DC. Um, so I was kind of like in the the ending stages of my sketch troupe. He just started uh, what was High Drama, uh, his initial version of it with like a completely different uh, casting crew. I think, believe it was... Him and Jackie were in the original incarnation. And give us some last names for people who don't know. Uh, Jackie Wolfson, DC Fisher. They are two other cast members of uh, High Drama. Um, and I believe they shared the stage with like three to four other people that they graduated with from uh, IUP. Um, so that was the original incarnation. They were doing like a monthly show at this small little theater in Fishtown in Philadelphia called the Walking Fish Theater which sounded aggressive to me. I'm like, how are you doing a monthly sketch comedy show? I, um, I don't want anything to do with that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, but, uh, I was writing a pilot at the time, a comedy pilot. And I had like a whole bunch of awesome filmmaker friends at the time. So, uh, we were going to actually shoot the pilot for it. And then I, uh, I cast in Philadelphia, 
Uh, DC recommended me to a bunch of people that were currently performing in high drama. So I, I hired Jackie, I hired DC for a bunch of like crazy little bit parts in the piece, along with a few other folks. And uh, I had just such a great time working with them on the comedy pilot that I started writing sketches for them for high drama. And then uh, eventually I got up on stage and started doing my funny business with them. Nice. And so is there, could you, could high, could high drama be described in a style? Do you have an approach to things or is it just what's funny? Well, let's get it on the stage. Um, I mean, we do the traditional where like we have writers meetings, but we also, you know, we write separately, we pitch ideas together. Um, you know, so the, the main crux of like what we do with live shows is, um, we have a banjo player that uh, performs as our sort of our, our our runner in between each sketch. So she will do our banjo player's name is Josie. She will do a, um, you know, like a song that's either like very much on the nose about what the last sketch was about, or she'll play some, you know, popular song, but done in sort of a loud screamy banjo style <laughs> that kind of takes us through each sketch. So that kind of is like the narrative glue of the piece that holds all the, uh, our very silly, very erratic ideas together. Um, you know, we have all have like our own collective styles. Like, um, you know, I have my, my stammery, awkward, fun stuff that I like to write. I, uh, DC is like our, our guy that has kind of sketches where people generally love to scream at each other. There's a lots of screamy DC sketches. That's which me. Love. That's my move. That's yeah. my move. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, lots of anger in those that's being released. And I appreciate yeah. that. Those are always yeah. really fun to do. Uh, Jason Singer, who is a, um, a wonderful redheaded man that is in our sketch troupe uh, does a lot of very, very, very bizarre um, content, which we we have to sort of navigate and turn into, um, you know, releasable yeah. content. But yep. he is the sort of like the weird Andy Kaufman-esque brainchild that kind of gives us some initial crazy concepts that we can kind of turn into some some you know, more narrative focused content, which we love a lot. Um, but we have a very signature style. I don't know. It's, it's a grab bag of very different comedic minds kind yeah. of all mixed together and having a lot of fun. I, I know. I, I think, I think we'd probably say the same thing for bad medicine and Amy, would you say the same thing for brick penguin? Yeah. Or do you th- yeah. Yeah. Grab bag. I, yeah, I like exactly. to think of bad medicine. We're all very serious minded and sober individuals. With a <laughs> sober, practical sober outlook on life. And uh, I'm drinking a beer right now. We're uh, <laughs> in the non-alcohol. Oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, Kurt, oh, I mean, I, we've seen your group perform at different festivals. I think the last time we saw you guys might have been North Carolina. Um, and you guys did a sketch, an audience, an audience sketch where you gave them all instruments in the front row. And then yelled at them, uh, which I thought was really great. So in my <laughs> mind, when I think of you guys, I think of the energy in that sketch and just how you guys just like. <laughs> or you're just verbally accosting. Verbally accosting people <laughs> in your, your audience. And it's just great. So you guys, you guys bring a certain level of energy to your stuff. It's always going to be up here, you know. <laughs> we, uh, we have a series where like we do like little solo runners in between a lot of our sketches. Um, where we have different individual members of the troupe trying and failing to perform some big elaborate talent on stage. And one was, um, you know, Jackie was this like expert conductor. And so what she did was like, she handed out all these toy instruments to the crowd and then she tried to conduct them into a piece, which just obviously just turned into (laughs) absolute chaos. And then, you know, screams and accosts them for about two minutes, which is a wonderful piece. (laughs) 
to get the crowd on your side for sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the worst part about that sketch is drawing. Oh, what was that? Screaming at the audiences. So that's that's, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. the gold standard of sketch comedy. Really I involving think. the audience at all is a little risky. <laughs> oh yeah, like but we, we we love that stuff. And like one of the worst parts about that one is trying to get the small instruments back from the audience because <laughs> yeah. like half the time they have such a fun time playing them that you literally have to snatch them out of their hands. We're like, no, these are props. Please give them back. <laughs> all right, Kurt. And so you also mentioned being very involved in Philly Sketch Fest. Can you tell us about kind of your your the history of your involvement in that? What Philly Sketchfest is? Why it's really great? Yeah, how do you how you got involved? Why is Philly Sketchfest? No, um, so we've been running. So I joined in in our, I, I want to say around 2014. It's been going since 2008. It was started by uh, a Ben Mar, um, Dave Trusso, and Matt Lally, who were in a old sketch comedy troupe from Philadelphia called the Animosity Pierre. So they sort of um, initiated it. It was very like very small scale. It was like a one night festival with maybe like six to eight groups yeah. all jammed in together. And then um, it sort of operated like that for a few years. And then it started to grow and grow and grow. Um, in 2014, myself and Brian Kelly sort of took it over and we wanted it to be like a multi-night big epic thing. We're as epic as it can be without like a, you know, a proper budget, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, we uh, it, it blossomed into like a five-night festival that when, you know, in non-quarantine times, it blossomed into a five-night comedy festival that sort of runs the gamut across the city. Um, it's about three shows a night, three acts per show, um, done in multiple venues across Philadelphia. Uh, over the last couple of years, we also incorporated a, a film festival into it, which has gone really, really well. We're excited uh, about uh, last year, too, because we were able to have a virtual version of the film festival that actually went even better. Um, you know, more groups, more submissions, a longer format, more people viewing just because it was people from all around the world that got to tune in. So that was more submission cool. fees for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about that publicly, but maybe kept about half and bought a jet ski. But, you know, we're not talking about that right now, guys. Okay. Boy, uh, if half equals a jet ski, you're doing great. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind, the jet ski did not run. I was halfway old... out into the ocean and just there was a lot of paddling no involved, but I bought it. Yeah. So I was happy about that. More like a, like a prop plane jet ski, a twin otter jet ski. Uh, that's a plane joke for all you plane heads out there. Um, so, so when you, as a producer, are you very involved in the choosing of groups? I think that's something that we've we've talked about with with other kind of producers that have come on before. Is like, how do you pick the groups? How do you pick that a group is definitely not coming? Like, what what goes into that sort of decision? I mean, you know, there's there's multiple ways to view those submissions. You know, I mean, back in the day, I can't even imagine when people were getting VHS tapes and and DVD mail-ins and having to go through each one of those. I know, like the old producers would have like a like a DVD watch night where like all the all the producers would come over. They would just watch a DVD after DVD. You know, sometimes pull it after ten minutes, being like, "Okay, this is a hard no. We we don't need to watch any more of this, right? All right, we're, we're going to pull this out." We kind of do the same thing when we're, you know, we're approaching it. Um, you know, all these YouTube and Vimeo selections that that we get. Um, it can be challenging because you always have to be careful of, like, even if 10 minutes go by and you're not laughing like a maniac, you know, there is sort of slow burden sketch comedy that you do need to be hyper aware of. So, like, 
you have to be very, very careful about not automatically dismissing something just because they're not getting to the joke. Um, you know, we did learn that along the way. And there's some great uh, Philly sketch troops that do more dramatic arcs that lead to one big punchline and it makes the crowds go nuts. So you really do need to be cognitive of that when you're when you're watching any of this. But you do know sometimes if people are like bringing a lot to something, but they just don't have either the comedic chops or the performance chops to really make you laugh. Like you can tell all like the pieces are there to make that work and it's not working. Um, So that's the stuff that you're like, all right, that's, that's going to be a, maybe a next year if you get a lot better. Um, So you do always have those watch outs, but we always try to get like a melting pot. You know, you want to make sure that you're not dealing with a bunch of, five-person alt-white sketch troops, which is still about 85% of the submissions that you get for Philly comedy. Um, not Philly comedy, I'm sorry, for to Philly sketch fest, but all around the world, pretty much the <laughs> same deal. Um, you know, it was always really exciting back in the day when you had like two girls that were also in the sketch troupe. But I mean, you really are seeing, a, I think a lot more people are conscious of that now. You see yeah. a lot more representation in sketch comedy um and i think is that like a conscious goal as you're picking acts to make sure that you're i mean i feel that should be a conscious goal no matter what type of festival you're putting out at this point if it's not then you need to sort of reassess what you're doing in general i guess with that question i either gave you a softball or a way to bury yourself (laughs) (laughs) yeah things could go not a great direction Um, no, but, uh, it's something that you really do have to keep in mind. Um, you know, there's, there's so many variances and there's so many, there's, you know, there's, there's sort of social societal stuff that you want to hit, but at the end of the day, you want to make sure that everything is as funny and hilarious as possible. And you want to make sure that it's going to work for a live audience and that, you're getting a crowd of, you know, maybe non-comedy fans or just people off the street, you're going to have a varied selection that like, okay, maybe if they don't like this very like absurdist piece, they're going to like this like eager to please high energy piece directly aside of it. So you want to just make sure that you're curating for like a very broad crowd at the same time. I think that's a key to any festival is that you want the widest range of varying degrees of comedy imaginable. Yeah, I think that makes now, a lot of sense. Amy, yeah. Amy from Big Penguin has, has been a lot involved in Philly Sketchfest scene. Um, we love what it. is your guys' experience with it? Like, what do, what do you guys, like, in your rank of festivals, like, what do you guys get from going and being there and being a part of it? We love Philly. First of all, we love Kurt. And Aww. we love Philly. So we love high drama. I just want to say, for the record, that Philly Sketchfest has the best application. Uh, it's the most straightforward because for example, right, the focus is on like, give me the links to your, you know, your your material, right? Like that's basically the application. Like there's some other stuff too. Right? <laughs> it's a good application. I mean, they, you know, they check, they're checking all the boxes, but like other applications, they make you, you know, you have to have 15 minutes of edited material and then you have to list all this information about the bio of the group and the resume and all this crap. And then you just have to do it again if you get accepted. But not Philly. Philly, you're on on the ball court over there. I know exactly what festivals you're talking about. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we love those festivals, but holy... Drives me crazy. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So we're doing the short description and then the long description and then individual descriptions about ourselves. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, that can drive you bananas. We try to streamline that as much as possible. If it's we like you, excellent. we're going to ask for a little bit more information when we put you before we put you on stage. Yeah. But yeah, we're not going to put people through the ringer. It's hard enough when you're like, it's festival season and you're trying to apply to like 15 different festivals. Right. Like it, it turns into like applying for a job, <laughs> essentially. Right. It, it does. It does. amount yeah. of effort into it. So I just, I just wanted to, to say that for the record, because it's a really straightforward application. And you know, yes, we strive to be the the <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> automatic automatic apply Ooh, of sketch comedy. My favorite yeah. way to apply to a job. Ooh, uh, LinkedIn apply done. Um, I'm just going to connect this to my Facebook, and then we've ar- I've already applied. I don't have to do <laughs> my my least favorite thing in festival applications is when you have to list all of the group members in one box, and the next box is you have to list all of their email addresses. Yeah, you have to oh do it my separately. God. And it's like Jesus. God and Lord, then, like, what? Oh, some of them ask for phone numbers. I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, yeah. How do I get that information? I talk to these people over Google. Like, <laughs> I talk to these people over email and in person. Like, they just show ways. up at my house, and then we write. We them. briefly use Slack, and no one wanted to use it. <laughs> um, no. All right, well, let's uh, let's get on to the sketches today. Uh, Kurt, why don't you start it off? Uh, what did you bring for us today, and why did you bring it? So for the show, I, uh, I brought Taco Mailman from MTV's The State. Um, I believe it's called Taco Man, Kurt. <laughs> I really, I want to call it Taco Mailman. We all do. Oh, Calling it that since a, since a young man, and I don't want to let it go. Um, so it's like, it's very much like a relic of a, like a long forgotten era of MTV when I want to say like, you know, this is a sketch comedy show. It's not like back in my day, they used to play music. No, they just had really weird ass content that like I would sneak downstairs at 11 o'clock at night and watch like liquid television and yeah. this date and be with some butthead and just all the stuff. My parents were like, we d- we don't want you watching this, but I'm like, well, I'm a teenager and I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but the state was like this insanely influential comedy series for me in my teenage years. Um, you know, it had this blend of absurdist and meta humor that like seared into my brain at like a very young age and sort of made me a very, very weird adult that continues to this day. <laughs> and um, it was just almost like this counterculture alternative to uh, like the straight ahead comedy of SNL. I always thought. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you could say that about like Mr. Show, you could say that about kids in the hall, but like for me, like it being on MTV, it was just, it was like a very, like, it was a breath of fresh air as far as sketch comedy was concerned. It was very weird. It was very straightforward. It was meta before I knew what meta meant. <laughs> um, and the taco man sketch taco man, um, I think it kind of sums up sort of their particular style of sort of straight ahead, but not not incredibly deep, not incredibly layered, but just very like surprisingly funny. Um, uh, this sketch features uh, Mike Liam Black and Kevin Allison um, having this wonderfully bizarre interaction on a quiet suburban street. Um, there's some memorable appearances from David Wade and Tom Lennon as well. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's take a listen. Check it out. Here's a clip. The wife and I noticed that uh, since the tacos started coming, the mail doesn't so much come as often or at all. Jake, what I'm getting at is, where's our mail? Yeah, you want to know about the mail. Here's the mail situation. 
I can't fit both the mail and the tacos in the bag. It's hard enough fitting the tacos. I'll level with you. These bags weren't designed for tacos. That's kind of what I'm getting at, Jake. All right. Well, that is fun and great. Great to hear. Um, so let's get into it. Um, so what I you 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 alluded to this a little bit in your uh, in your get go in your kind of description at the top, but this sketch just kind of starts with an absurd premise and doesn't hide that it has an absurd premise. It's just like from the jump, the mailman is delivering tacos, not mail, and I and it it stood out to me because I feel like you know so often you're while you're trying to get to the game on the first page or whatever, as someone from UCB might tell you to do, but like. It's, there's not even like trying to establish that there is a world. You're just establishing that the world is absurd, um, which I thought was a really fun way to start the sketch. Uh, it really stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, like we always talk, especially when people are trying to dissect sketches, they're always like, I love the sketch because it's very layered. It goes to these very unexpected places. I was thrown off every like five seconds with this new reveal. That's kind of not how this operates. And it's not how right. a lot of the state sketch comedy operates. Um, they get, you're right. They get to the game of the scene immediately. The man walks down the street and he puts a taco in a mailbox. And you're just like, Hey, this is weird. I'm doing a weird thing. Let's talk about it. Um, which I love the game. It like, you know, you establish your, your scene, which is, you know, a suburban street, you establish your mailman and then boom, you know, you, you, you establish your game and, uh, you know, it elevates and it escalates through like Liam Black having a conversation, not about, you know, it's not an argument. It's him just talking about how much he loves the tacos, but it's providing a very minor inconvenience in his life. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in the 90s would be a much bigger inconvenience because now yeah. like 95% of our mail is just pure garbage, but you were getting I, important things I, in the mail. I showed the sketch to my wife and she kind of had the same, she had that exact reaction, which was basically, well, this this would have meant a lot more 30 years ago. It's like, yes, yeah, exactly. The millennials are never going to get this. They're just that. Exactly. Yeah, you're getting like 10% off like liquor, like wine club mailers now. I would rather be getting tacos in the mail, to be honest, than half the stuff. Oh, yeah. That's true. And with today's sponsor, Blue Apron, you can can make your own tacos with the fresh ingredients. It's going to take three and a half hours. (laughs) Seth, um, as our our resident actor, Uh, um, what I like about this sketch is that it's just a conversation and the characters are speaking truths. Like, no one's lying. No one's like, they're just. This is my feeling. This is what I think is going on. And it's just very subtle and it's very like on point. Um, it's probably one of the best acted sketch. Like if, if I went to audition for something, I would just do this sketch. <laughs> it, it's there acting wise. Isaiah how, how doesn't do you, want acting jobs. I no, <laughs> I don't. But I'm just saying like when I, when I, I rewatched it like twice today, I was like, man, there, this is a really well acted sketch. How do you do that in sketch comedy? Yeah, um, I, I do agree. There's no, um, there's no deceit in this sketch. It's very straightforward. It's just two people having sort of like a like-minded conversation. Um, and I always love that. I kind of teach that a little bit in the sketch 101 too, is that like you don't automatically have to have two people like, you know, uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object and these two people like sort of pounding it out, aggressive, angry 
someone's disrupting someone's life and that other person's going to give them hell about it. You don't need to do that in every sketch. You can have a sketch where like there is a minor conflict, but like maybe that minor conflict turns into these two people become best friends. There's so many other ways you can go besides negativity in a sketch show. And like, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about this sketch. Um, And that it just establishes a world um, that does become like once the Tom Lennon character comes in, he's like, great tacos today. Like, I love that because that boom, that makes the world real. It's not just two crazy people having a conversation outside. It establishes the entire universe and makes that whole thing come together. Um, Yeah. So uh, I, I think this sort of like, I, I didn't realize it until I like read some of my my earlier sketches too. Is that how much that sketch sort of informed the dynamic of my pieces? Where like I do like sometimes like write in circles purposely because of this sketch. Where like I love like a repetition of like one ridiculous thing, sort of getting drawn out to the point where you're, like you're finding new fun ways to go through the repetition. Um, and that's one of the things that I think I carried through from this sketch. I really like, yeah, just kind of along those lines. I love the interaction that, um, like, between these two characters. And I just love the way that they talk to each other. It just <laughs> seems so uh, specific, yeah. I guess. I mean, it seems like they're friends, but maybe there's some, there's just something more to this relationship. Because, like, <laughs> how close they get when Michael Ian Black is like, yeah. I love the tacos. Like there's just, there's just something there that just, it, you can't, you can't understand it, but like something's going on. And the yeah. fact that everyone in this community probably has this relationship with the mailman, that just this oddly specific relationship where they have to kind of treat him in a, in a specific way. Yeah. It, it's like, it's, really it's like a boss. <laughs> yeah. It's like a boss talking to an employee that like, messed up but it's like his his first strike and he doesn't want to upset him right right <laughs> it Let's does have very him. boss talking to employee vibes like just the very me and the wife face. were talking and as we noticed it's yeah it's a little bit gary cole in office space even a little bit of that vibe i know yeah that's yeah that's <laughs> put the mail in the mailbox <laughs> yeah, michael ian black has a very specific wheelhouse and this is like 100 yeah. percent it oh yeah 100 yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He shines oh, in this. And I loved, um, I'm so happy like Isaiah sent the Zoom version of this sketch as well that they did for uh, like the quarantine Zoom revival yeah. of the state. Um, and just watching MIB just not be able to maintain a straight face while Kevin Allison <laughs> was talking. I did not watch that version. Perhaps I should. It's okay. It's, <laughs> it's better okay. than the first version Isaiah sent around. Oh, the two kids. Two kids in 1999 reenacting. Just I honestly love that, Nicole. though. That was because it was just so funny. Like, actually, just seeing a video from that time period is just hilarious anyway, because the quality is just so bad. Oh, and if yeah, I recall like, correctly, I believe Isaiah can maybe remember this. Isaiah and Seth, the first, sketch, the first uh, sketch from the state that we talked about on this show was the hormone sketch. Mm. And I believe the first version of that we found was also someone performing it at like a high school, yeah. uh, which is a weird place to perform that sketch. Yep. I mean, or yes. it's the perfect place to perform that sketch. The state needs to put more of their sketches on YouTube. Just do it, guys. It's that time. Just put I it all behind the paywall. Come on. Was and if like you notice, all period? these sketches are like, you know, like you're seeing all these videos from like 2002, 2003 uploads from kids that like when YouTube first came on because the state was nowhere for like 
I want to say like 15 yeah. years. There yeah. was no DVDs available. There was no clips on YouTube. There was nothing. Well, it they was posted on those like weird, like remember those weird like um websites where you could watch like oh, you know accidents <laughs> like like E-bombs world kind of thing. <laughs> yes, they were like albino black E-bombs world. <laughs> yeah, they they could they couldn't do anything because of the music rights. That's because oh, yeah. MTV just underscored their sketches with whatever was um, popular at the time. So mm. when the state went to try to sell their or get their DVDs to sell, they had to sort through all of these music rights. Or I think what they went back and did with at least some of them was to change the music for, uh, to what they originally put on the sketch. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, just... you lost all licensing. And that's the same thing with Beavis and Butthead. If you watch yeah. an episode of Beavis and Butthead now, there's no music videos in it. They don't do any of the music video bits because they don't have the rights to show the music videos in any of the DVD collections. So it's only this, like the Beavis and Butthead sketches, which in my opinion are a lot less funny than the actual music video stuff. I, I at one point had the time life Beavis and Butthead collection. (laughs) Remember when time life was like a prestigious archive? Vaguely. (laughs) They don't. Um, What else could you get on it? Just anything? Just any? Like, like book sure. collections, historical artifacts like Time Life would be like, oh, like the collected, um, like speech recordings of John F. Kennedy, <laughs> like and things like that. And now they're like, and if you like that, the yeah, it's no, they had some real weird, you know, stuff on there with Kennedy being like, I am the uh, great cornholio, you know, like that kind of shit. So. <laughs> I just love this idea of like that I don't know if this is true or not, but like a time period where people were just like, kids were just reenacting sketches and videotaping them because like they couldn't find the content. Yeah, that's, just, that's all we have. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I've heard this before. And like a lot of people, I feel like it, earlier generations, but like starting in high school, like doing Monty Python sketches for a talent show or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh, I, um, I was at a, a thespian conference in 1990. That's a word for actor. Yeah, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> mm, a thespian conference. Any high school student with the money could join. Um, but somebody did uh, Four Yorkshiremen. Which is uh, a great sketch. It is a great sketch. But yeah, somebody did Four Yorkshiremen at a thespian conference. And I'm like, I knew what it was. But I was like, that's okay. Sure, fine. Go ahead. I have so, like a very weird phantom memory of being in elementary school. And there was some talent show. And I think think I might have done like a Wayne and Garth thing with someone, but like there must be some <laughs> trauma associated with it because like I remember like a sense memory of it happening, but nothing about it. Oh no, what oh, happens? No. Didn't go well, huh? What? Tough I think it's just, you know, you're like a 10-year-old doing Wayne and Garth is probably not something that shined comedically at the time. Yeah. The teachers wouldn't really let's let's go back to this sketch because one thing I wanted to talk about is the end of this sketch. Yes. Oh my Disappearing mailman. I love, I love the end. So the series of things that happened at the end. The mailman walks off into nothingness. Michael Ian Black says, "This that was the longest conversation I've ever had. I believe that's David Wayne as his yes. wife. Yeah, that um, is David Wayne. David Wayne is playing his wife. There is at least one woman, I believe only one woman, in the, in the state. So she could have played that role. And then the mailbox also walks away. So I That's don't know. Seth, what, what's happening at the end of that sketch? Honestly, I have to say it felt like they didn't know how to get out of it. Like, mm. I, do, I do love the mailman disappearing when he walks away. I think that's a good note. 
Uh, and I think Michael Ian Black saying, that's the longest conversation I ever had. I think he could have stopped there. <laughs> but then the mailbox walks away. And it's that's, like, why is the mailbox walking it's away? It's <laughs> so, like, if, if perhaps the mailbox had said tacos, well, it was walking <laughs> away or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that <laughs> talks about its indigestion after consuming too many tacos. <laughs> on my, my theory is that well, what did Back to, what did the first Back to the Future come out? Do we know? Can't remember. Oh, so after. Okay. So before the sketch. Yeah. Yes. Well before, yes. Yeah. It's very Back to the Future, futury to me, because it's like, right, the pictures the mailman no longer exists, has right. is ceasing to exist because he's 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 done, right? He's no so the mailbox doesn't exist either. Ooh. And okay. like the picture, the picture's changing. Ooh, Amy, I like that That's, read. I, I had not I, thought about it that way. I like that the ma- the mailbox has no purpose to yeah, no, fill yeah. anymore. With I am now mail. accepting that as canon. I feel oh, like yeah. that is oh, yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Um, so one of the the perks of being in uh, Kevin Allison's like sketch workshop, like I did his first uh, sketch comedy workshop in 2004 um, wow. at the... There, or uh, the People's Improv Theater in, in New York City. I think it was like... R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. Thing. This was like They're the original... Yet. Yeah, is it like officially done? I think they might still have their like upstairs version. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, they lost the big space. They're, they're using the small space now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. My, my mistake. Dig them up. <laughs> yeah. Dig them up. I think that's like the last sort of grasp at that theater. Um, but I was, I went there when it was only like the theater above the Chinese food store in New York city. But like, I took it so long ago. I think it was the first year the people's improv theater opened. Um, so our first couple classes weren't at the, the, the people's improv theater. It was at Kevin Allison's boyfriend's dojo. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, sentence. Yeah, so I was, um, I, it was 2004, it was like, I was still in college, and still loved the state, still do, but like, I was still like, in the throes of like, still feeling like a teenager, and like, that still meaning a lot to me. Um, so when I walk into this dojo, the first thing I see is Kevin Allison setting up chairs next to one of those fight dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is the most surreal thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we did get to watch ta- uh, we got to watch Taco Man and uh-huh. with Kevin and then he talked about the sketch after we watched Taco Man and um, he revealed that the ending of it the whole yeah. mailbox thing was that there was a cut but no one said cut so the guy that was the, the mailbox wasn't attached to anything it was a prop mailbox that a guy was holding up underneath and That's so when they yelled cut <laughs> He just walked away with it, but like the scene actually hadn't stopped. Oh, That's so they awesome. improvised goodbye mailbox. Oh as God, the mailbox is walking away. <laughs> right, I that, love that. I that like Amy's answer better. I'm I know. I, I no. I like. I like. Sure. I like this. I like the the chaos of that answer. <laughs> that that actually reminds me of a, a a possibly apocryphal story about James Joyce. Okay. Well, Great. don't just um, hint at it. I, well, he, he's, uh, <laughs> he's dictating Finnegan's Wake. Uh, one of the people transcribing, by the way, is Samuel Beckett. And uh, when they the go to- The famous dog show the, shower. The famous dog show guy. Yeah, Samuel Beckett, oh, the yeah. doctor guy. Uh, when they go to read back that day's transcriptions, two of the transcribers have come in and two of them don't. And when they think about what had happened- 
somebody had come to the door and knocked and James Joyce had said, come in. And two of them wrote it down. And James Joyce looked at him and said, keep it in. <laughs> because if you've ever tried to read Finnegan's Wake, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to put in that book, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how like kind of bad the sketch looks too, because like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, hell it's handheld. You can tell like they just ran outside and shot it somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why Carrie Kinney wasn't in it was because like, I think half the crew was shooting on location in studio. And then I think they gave David Wayne a camera. I think that's when he first started <laughs> directing because like he was just shooting all these like weird supplementary stuff for the state like this. And that's how he got sort of got that itch scratched. Hmm. Well, one of the things I love uh, looking back on the state is just how many of those people are like cornerstones of like, players in comedy shows now like the, you know they might not always be the leads but they are there oh yeah the they, like it's amazing how many of those people uh yeah you connect that to like uh wet hot american summer and just how yeah. like, everybody yeah. just okay. offshoots from that film into like the modern comedy landscape it's absolutely wild how much yeah. has like uh you know evolved from that piece like you kind of look at like, you know, obviously Saturday Night Live has its, you know, very many, you know, classic comedic offshoots. But then you look at the state, like sort of really influence, I guess, like sort of the modern dynamic of like meta referential, but like more conversational, I guess, comedy, you could say. This sketch is very intimate. Like I, we talked about it earlier, but there is really just this intimate conversation that's happening in this sketch. It's it's some of it is the closeness, and some of it just is the way the dialogue is written. It's oh, it's two sure. people who know each other. Um, and I know that I know I that's something I remember taking a class with somebody. And they were talking about basically like it's important to establish whether or not your people having a conversation. Like establish that relationship. That must if they're talking about relationships, it must have been Second City. But like you know, establishing those relationships being so important. And it's clear that there's a relationship here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, if you're dealing with sort of like your your comic protagonist slamming against your, you know, your audience surrogate or your your, your foil, like, yeah, those people generally don't have a relationship because it's like, you know, your, your bizarro person smashing up against the world of someone that just wants their situation to proceed normally. Um, those are the people that you can get away with not having that sort of dynamic. But if you are having two friends having an argument, or if you're having, you know, two neighbors having an argument, you're going to have a situation like this where a relationship's being established, but you want that conversation or conflict to proceed, you know, a little bit more dialed down. It's like your first stab at having sort of a negative disagreement with someone, you know, it's that sort of polite veneer that you add before you start getting into how you really feel about something. Can we also just agree that Michael Ian Black's glasses are the third character? (laughs) I don't know if that's, that was just his normal glasses, but I'm like, those were the perfect glasses for this character. They're just amazing. It I just, mean, it just you say tied the whole room together. You say his glasses. I say Kevin Ellison shorts. But I mean, okay, the shorts were good too. I noticed the shorts as well. What about the bag? Does no one care for the bag? The bag. I loved the bag in that like comedic recreation sketch because <laughs> that kid like was fumbling for a while to get the taco out, and they did not cut. No, no they didn't cut. Nice. That was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Hey, 
I'm AJ Schrader, and I believe everyone has a story worth telling, and also that I should potentially profit off of their stories. That's why I started the podcast I Wrote You a Pilot, where each episode I talk to a not-yet-famous person about their television interest and then make them read a television pilot I hastily wrote for them with the hopes of catching the eyes of the president of television. It's available on most major podcast platforms, or you can find out more directly at iwroteyouapilot.podbean.com. All right, welcome back. It's time for our second sketch of the day. Today's sketch is brought to us by Seth. Seth, what'd you bring for us? I brought the Continental, and now I'm not sure why. But the Continental is a long-running sketch uh, on Saturday Night Live, which is performed by um, long-running guest host Christopher Walken. I actually don't know how many of them there have been, but I, I think quite a few, like more than a dozen continental sketches. Um, it is based on a TV show from, I believe it ran 1951 and 1952 called the continental, which is set up in the same way. It's single camera. You're just, the camera is just looking at the, uh, whoever it was and he did direct address to the camera. And that's all I really was able to find out about it because no clips remain. Um, so a uh, tragic, tragic, tragic. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit more about that. But uh, if you've never seen one, um, Christopher Walken plays a really creepy guy who sounds vaguely European and keeps trying to get women to sleep with him. That's pretty much it. Forgive me, my little frightened, wide-eyed doll. I see. I've upset you. If I move away from the door, will you promise to sit and banter with me, if only for a few brief moments? <laughs> you broke your promise, so I broke mine. I do not like to play games. I will find your glove and you will go. But first, a glass of fine champagne. <laughs> All right, Seth, uh, as we saw, that's quite, quite creepy. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, what's, uh, why did you bring that sketch for us? Because today? when I was younger, so much younger than today, um, I, <laughs> I, I remember watching The Continental and just thinking it was hilarious. Perhaps because of the way he pronounced the word champagne. <laughs> and also because of his desperation and it, in his attempt to get this woman to pay him some attention. Now that I am older and, uh, you know, let's see, me too has happened. And also I just, you know, got older and learned some shit. Uh, <laughs> this is gross and women have to deal with this all the time. So it's not that funny anymore. Mm. Yeah, for sure. If uh, if Christopher Walken was going to be in the Space Jam sequel, he would have absolutely have been cut for sure. Like, it would <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, no, like, but yeah, there's really not much difference between this and a Pepe Le Pew cartoon oh, at all. Oh god, <laughs> like, no, it kind of has just, the same dynamic. I, I think the one thing that can maybe be said for the Continental is that there is less grabbing of the woman and holding her to uh, the man's chest. Hmm. Um, 
It's more just blocking the exits, yeah. you know. Just yeah, the, the blocking the exit is rough, and it gets a huge laugh. I think part of that is his face, but yeah. like, <laughs> it's, it is rough. He he makes a great face when he does it, um, but it is it's so rough. I, I think, yeah. I, one of the things I liked in this sketch is there's great prop comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The first cigarette that he has in the holder is horribly bent, um, which I found hysterical. And I think the biggest laugh at this point in the sketch, at, at, like at, in this modern era, is for me putting the coat um, just askew on the rack, upside down, inside out. Yeah. <laughs> I was yes. like, give me more Christopher Walken prop comedy. Um, and the uh, the actual, after the multiple splashes on the face, the mustache becoming just slightly off. Yes. Yeah. Him blowing on it for a couple beats to get a couple laughs before his next line was great. The the unintentional humor of the uh, the uh, mustache glue or, or being dissolved by the champagne or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, it's it's just like the other thing about this is that <laughs> all all the terrible stuff in it aside, uh, these things are long. They are all yeah. like eight to nine minutes long of what becomes the same joke yeah. presented in the same way. Yeah. Like he locks the door in this what three times, and that the three times happens within the space of like two minutes, pretty much. Um, But it's just the thing I wanted to say really is that it's really a shame that we can't see the show that it was based on because that might give us some context for it. And their whole point is that the host of this show just. Was re- it sounded really creepy, and what he did was really creepy, and that's why we're doing this continental sketch. But like, to make a point, they're still using Phil Hartman's voiceover to do this continental sketch. To be fair, the one that we watched for this episode aired in 1992. Okay, uh, uh, so they did. But, they did use his voice. Post three. He, they used it three times mm. since he died. Post. Yeah. Yeah. And they do the same I, thing with um, whenever they like revise Wayne's World for SNL. They'll still do Phil Hartman's voice doing like the channel uh, call out in the beginning. Ah. I think it's cool. I, I I really love that they just continue yeah. to have him be a presence. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, just to give an example, like I I say the point I guess I was trying to make is that it's the same sketch. It basically hasn't changed since the first time it aired, which I'm going to say was 1990. Uh, and they were still doing these relatively recently. I, okay. I'm confused. I think I watched a different kind of mill than maybe we were supposed to watch, but I mean, they're all, let's, we've all agreed they're kind of the same. Yes. But what are these women doing? Are they advertising a product? Like, I, I, I'm just confused about why the women are there because in the one I watched, he was having them like, he was having them like apply cosmetics. So I'm just like, not, oh, I'm confused saw, about what's going on. In the most recent one that you showed the behind the scenes on, he looked like he was wearing a lab coat. Okay. Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. From what I, I watched four of these today because I wanted to see, oh, and they're all of them. What a horrible way to spend an hour. So hour. much of your day. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is he tricks them into coming into his apartment and then they try to escape. And he mm-hmm. stops them and begs for them to stop, but then doesn't stop being a dirty dog. And yeah. like, that's the sketch. And so who these women are almost doesn't matter. They're just 
women and he is trying to be suave and is not is not hitting that and like almost that is the joke in a sense but for me i don't know what other actor could play this role and it still be funny yeah like it's just him the way he his his seriousness the seriousness he takes the role and like how he says words his body and it it's, it's, it's so him that's what i'm laughing at you will, I know well, what's bad, but that's what's making me laugh. There's, there's definitely that times. couldn't play that role. <laughs> that would be legally <laughs> forbidden from playing that role. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely times when I watch him, because I watch two of these. Um, uh, I watch, I think, the uh, one I could find on YouTube and then the one I sent around, uh, which, by the way, the woman is in there because she has left a glove. Or, yes. Oh. Uh, and the other one I watched, I think, the, he supposedly found a brooch. <clears throat> but right in, i've heard that before <laughs> yes in in one of them actually before we even get to see christopher walken we see a woman run out of his apartment in that's the one with the glove that's, that's the one yeah, with the glove. yeah yeah so he says it, it's his sister off to meet her lover yes uh which is patently not true um I mean i met what my wife using the missing brooch technique so <laughs> i learned the a old, lot the old missing I knew brooch. It, Kurt, I knew it. I got a what's her number? I gotta get that to her. <laughs> talk some sense into her. <laughs> there there are definitely times for me when you look at his face and it's almost like he can't believe he's in the sketch. <laughs> like occasionally, like honestly, I would say the face that he makes when he goes to block the door to me reads as I'm about to lose it. I don't know what I'm doing in this sketch. Like I'm about to just start laughing because this is so ridiculous. Uh, I think the sketch probably like they did it so many times because it was probably fun for them to sort of like maneuver. Because if you look at the behind yeah. the scenes, it's all the cameraman. The yeah. one question that I did have about it, that first 1990 sketch, there is definitely like a female hand um, that's doing the slapping. And then in the updated ones, they just put a glove on the male cameraman to make it seem like it's it's a woman each time. So I'm interested to see if it was a one of the original female cast members like walking directly aside of the cameraman each time and just doing the slap portion of it. Like I want to see the behind the scenes on the original to see how yeah. they operated that. That's a good question. Yeah. Dear Saturday Night Live. <laughs> hey, remember this sketch I bet you regret doing so many times? <laughs> yes. That is one take. They couldn't have yeah, women no? after the first in the sketch after the first one. They're like, oh, absolutely not. Alive no, probably not. At this point, so. They probably didn't want to be in it. To be honest. No, they probably didn't. I want to go back to one thing about it being if the first of these aired in 1990, that still means that the it's a parody of something that was 40 years old at the right. time. Yeah. yeah. Like a show that ran for a direct parody of a show that ran for one season 40 years ago just seems like a crazy thing to do. It's just like, I, it's hard to see how that gets out of the writer's room. Right. Like, I, like if, if someone came in and pitched that pitch that you go, no, like <laughs> I, I have to think that a, it seems like the kind of thing that Walken liked. Yeah. Like it, that he would have found it funny to, to do. And then that they needed the 10 to one slot filled. Yeah. That one day in 1990, because this, I, I believe it, it will run at other times now, or I kind of remember seeing it at, at other times when I was younger, but it still feels like a 10 to 1. Yeah, it does. Yes. Yes. It definitely does. I mean, they just did a Muppet sketch on SNL. So Another one? 
Yeah, they, did. they, it was had, they had this old Broadway thing, and I'm I just forgot. like, what are we doing over here? <laughs> but at least the Muppets are like, you know, That's they true. they had a show come out this past year. There was That's all this true. news recently about how they edited some old episode, or they mm-hmm. put disclaimers. The worst part about that sketch for me was the off-brand Muppet puppets they were using. Yeah, yeah like, you could tell the that. The not-quite-right like, Kermit the Frog and Statler mm-hmm. and Waldorf. That was really rough. But and like next? He's up to you. Well, and then then just also because they don't know what to do with Melissa Villasenor, just having her do a spot on Lily Tomlin impression that had nothing to do with the sketch. They yeah, don't know how to use like, her. No one She's one of their most talented performers, us. and they have no <laughs> idea what to do with her. They've um, never really known how to use pr- uh, um, impressionists. Like true impressionists at all. Yeah, well, they'll do like the montage bits like a couple times a year where yeah. like they'll advertise, oh, fun, these celebrities yeah. are auditioning for this thing they'd never audition for. And then they'll run like a circle on that. And then you'll get like the actual impressionist trotting out their stuff. And then you'll get like these half-assed impressions from the people that don't usually do them. Yeah. Jay uh, Farrow was the same way. Like they, yeah. they had him play Obama, but other than that, they didn't really have him doing like the stuff he was incredible at. He's, yeah. he's obscenely good. That was her 100th show. Of SNL. Melissa Villasenor? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's how long she's been around. I was like, and how many? Like, we don't have, like, her sketch. You know, we don't have a target lady for her. Oh. I'm like, what are you guys doing? She's great. Like, yeah. The closest thing I can think of is, like, the one where she's, like, does bad dirty talk with Donald Glover. <laughs> Dude, that's even, that's just, like, a recurring sketch that's not always her. That's, it, like, other. It's, like, one of her. That's from the stand-up. Like like her- stand this is just a thought. Is there any chance that she perhaps impersonated Lauren Michaels in a movie <laughs> before she started on I SNL? So. And, and that's why it, that's it why. certainly could be the reason. Yes. Um, does this, should this sketch have been performed so many times? If, even if we, no. even if we no. say the, the content, right, exactly. From, from a content like, point no. of view, no. Yeah. No. from a content point of view, it's reprehensible. From a from a joke construction point of view, the joke just doesn't change. It's the same joke every time. Like, how do you get the legs to do that? And, and obviously, that's that is a hallmark of Saturday Night Live is to find a funny joke, funny joke, and to run it into the ground. But like, it just seems absurd to me that they did this so many times. I I think again, I think it was something fucking like like I can see him, you know, coming in. And, I don't know how many times he's hosted SNL at this point, but he's way beyond the five timers club. Oh yeah. You know? Uh, you know, and I could see him walking into the writer's room and asking whether they're going to do a continental sketch that week. <laughs> yeah. And so and the, the writer's, writer's thinking, just, fuck, they look yeah. at the previous continental sketch and they're like, well, let's do eight more minutes of the same. Well, I saw the most recent one, even though it was somewhat recent, it was still like 11 years ago <laughs> at yeah. this point. Yeah. So I would imagine if they brought it into the real world, they'd address it at this point, but it would still probably be a ham-fisted addressing of this character. Yeah. For sure, because it's Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, but, How would you clean um, the sketch up? How would you clean this up? Like if a, a kid from your class brought it in and said, this is my sketch, this is what I'm going to do. Like, how would you direct them towards safety with this sketch without telling them to rewrite the whole thing from scratch honestly for me it's the continental in front of congress addressing a panel of female representatives and just saying wowie wow wow after they <laughs> point out like everything it's like do you know that you make women feel threatened? wow wowie wow wow and then you know it's like that kind of thing um 
It'd be fun for them to actually flip it and do uh, like the point of view from the the female perspective for the next one, just to like sort of like experience what she's experiencing and then actually give her a voice. Like it might be fun to just completely flip. But I I mean, at the same time, you'd need people to be familiar with the sketch, which probably modern audiences aren't. But Well, again, remember, as Andy pointed (laughs) out, this started out as a parody of something that happened once or for one season 40 years ago. So this thing happened for 20 years. Uh, you know, 10 years ago. So I'm sure that by that logic, it would be perfect to write a parody of the Continental sketch. Who yeah. saw, like, is it just one guy you that saw the Continental assume. and was like, we're it doing this? Be. Did Lauren come in? He was like, mm, there was I bet it was Lauren. Continental. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like it was Lauren. I really like this Continental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was 11 <laughs> years old at <laughs> now. And the Continental played. But I think the appeal of the original one was like, you have to think 1990 Christopher Walken isn't our Christopher Walken. Right, it's not a parody of Christopher Walken. No, so he was only doing villain roles. He was doing deep-seated dramas, like Mm -hmm. really dark characters. So seeing him as this continental character was probably like very therapeutic for the audience. It was probably like a shocking, silly thing to see Christopher Walken doing this. So that was probably like a big audience release. You're like, wow, he can do silly characters. Who who would have thought? <laughs> uh, my, you know. I think my favorite Walken sketch, which I believe we've talked about, uh, is still the uh, the Dead Zone. Oh, when he's doing, um, yeah, the Dead Zone. He's the Dead like Zone, the where he stakes. can only see minor mishaps. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think SNL was sort of his. Like, we talk about like how Leslie Nielsen was. He used to be like this dramatic character actor before he did na- the Naked Gun films. Like right. SNL was sort of Christopher Walken's. Oh wait, we've been looking at this guy entirely wrong for the last yeah. thirty years. Yeah, and then yeah, you, you definitely saw like a major pivot in Christopher Walken roles after he started appearing on SNL. Well, it's 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 just interesting to me because he had to he had to pivot into the villain roles, right? He started. He started doing musicals on Broadway. <laughs> That's right. And he, and he was a sex the sound of music. Was he? Yeah. At some point. Yeah, at some point. Um, I want to say the seventies. He was. He was considered seventies, early eighties. He was considered somewhat, pretty much a sex symbol. Wow. All right. Exotic hmm. in his look. Okay. So I looked up the guy. He's he's playing from the Continental, Renzo Sassana. Um, who is Italian. He's an actor, writer, composer, songwriter. None of his music is on Spotify, unfortunately, but you can listen <laughs> to his, the things he's doing um, on, on, they have music, you know, two minute songs. And he's just talking through the whole thing. It's almost like a, a spoken word. Um, and he, he's got like, a, you know, I would say for that era, a very sexy, very white, deep voice. And so I think he's kind of taking that persona and stretching it out to be this odd thing. And I think for that time, in the early 1950s, this guy, what he was doing and being Italian uh, was, was desirable. And Swarthy. So, yeah. And okay. so from that, so from the early 90s, they're looking back at this, they're probably doing what we're doing now, being like, this guy's a creep. This is actually was really weird what he was doing this. And so then they just did it. But then they kept doing it. And so now we're looking back at what they were doing and going, uh, I don't know if you guys needed to, to do this this often. Not so, 12 uh, times. I think yeah. it's interesting. I forgot that the guy was Italian because I looked it up a little bit too. It's interesting to me that the guy they based it on is Italian and Christopher Walken is 
for me, hitting somewhere around uh, Germany or Central Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely. I could not discern an accent. I was like, I don't really know what hard this to is. pinpoint. Yeah, <laughs> he's from the, he's from the continent, and that's, that's all right. that matters. <laughs> all right, well, uh, let's move on to the final part of the show. Uh, Kurt, have you come up with some kind of rating system for us to rate these sketches? Um, I'd say like maybe like we could go at uh, like um five out of five walking mailboxes. Five out of five walking mailboxes. All right. Well, why don't you start us off then? How would you rate um, Taco Man from the state? Well, I mean, it, it definitely influenced the sort of like the the writing that I've done. It sort of influenced my my sort of just general comic sensibility. I'm going to give it, you know, four point five out of five walking mailboxes. Four point five out of sure. five. All right. All right. Four point five out of five. Amy. I I don't want to give it more mailboxes than Kurt did, but I really liked it. And I think I'm going to give it a 4.5 of walking mailboxes only because I'm a bit disappointed by um, the explanation of the mailbox. Um, <laughs> it breaks your head cannon. It yeah. breaks your head cannon. <laughs> but it was great. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Seth? You know, I have to say this is not my favorite state sketch. I'm going to give it uh, three out of five walking mailboxes. What's your favorite? Um, That's a tough... Barry and Levon, the one, the kabuki one they do where so many of their comedic universes intersect. Uh, Porcupine Racetrack. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I think my my very close second it would have to be Sideways House if anybody's mm. familiar with Sideways House. It just opens with it's a very, it's like a sitcom premise. It opens with like a very long opening theme song. They live in a sideways house <laughs> with slanted doors and walls. And then they kind of pan across this sideways house and it's like it, it opens up very silly and then it starts with like the uh, the dad walking through the door falling on his face. It's like, damn you, sideways house. And then they find out their their son is dead because he fell from the bathroom. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and then it just goes right back into the uh, the sitcom. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of just the 150,000 of us or whatever the one that was, which I also I adore that. <laughs> right, Isaiah, how many walking mailboxes would you give this? So I'm going to give it one, but it's going to be the apartment complex mailbox where it's just like a oh. bunch of mailboxes oh, all go. packed together and your mailman sits there with one key and he's got to like open all of the doors this is Isaiah it. trying to be fun I love this sketch I feel like my writing um, wants to be this uh, where it's simple and it's just very human but a very absurd world um, and I, I think that's great uh, I, I would, I would, I'd, I'd love that kind of stuff. And uh, this is great. Thank you for bringing it, Kurt. Yeah, uh, I think I'd give it uh, three and a half uh, walking mailboxes, or maybe four. Uh, for me, and I know it's kind of the antithesis of the sketch. I just wish it had gone a little bigger than it did go. And I know the whole point is that it's not going bigger, um, <laughs> but it's just from what I like, I would have liked it to go bigger. It's your sensibility, uh, sure. exactly. Exactly. All right. And so now on to the Continental. Uh, Seth, how many walking mailboxes would you give the Continental? I'm going to give it none. I'm going to give it one walking 
mailbox. Oh, come on. <laughs> you had to see you had to see that coming. Oh, uh, I really should have. You That's really should have, buddy. I, it's one walk-in mailbox where he comes on and says something racially insensitive in a Quentin Tarantino movie. That walk and fired all right. on all cylinders here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Isaiah, what would you uh what would you give this one? Of course, the graphic set. Thank you. For that. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, I honestly give it to um, Mailbox as I understand that it is the topic itself and the scenario and him closing the door and being very aggressive. It's just, whoa, that's like, ugh. And then it's like nine minutes of that. <laughs> you know, it could have been like three, get the joke, haha, get out. But they don't, you know, it's, it's you know, this, this SNL nine minute sketch. But I, I love his performance in it. And I love the behind the scenes video that I shared with you guys earlier of just him and the dance he's doing with with the cameraman and the crew as they're running around trying to put his cue cards on top of the camera and just how serious he is about reading the lines and delivering it. And then like the camera goes away and you can see him kind of come out of it and then come back into it. And like, I'd watch him in anything. I love it when an old movie comes on and he just happens to be in it. And I'm like, Oh, what is this about? You know, he's just one of those actors that I think maybe him and maybe Jim Carrey could have done this role. And, you Mm. know, I would be totally into it, but probably those mm. are the only two guys that I'd be like, oh, it's Man, Continental. Let's watch what happens. Completely different sketch. Which totally oh different sketch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you could kind of hit the same creepy beats yeah. um, and, and get away with it, sort of. Jim I Karen think definitely would have fell off that ladder that he was walking up at that one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me, this one would probably be like a one, uh, one walking mailbox, just because. I think I liked some of the prop comedy that happened in it. I enjoyed that, but otherwise I didn't find a whole lot that was ridiculous. Cause I didn't, I didn't frankly find his performance terribly funny. Um, I just thought it was kind of, I don't know. Like I, I like, I guess like some of his line deliveries are fine, but I don't know. It's, I just didn't really enjoy it all that much. Amy, what did you think? I liked the part where it started and then you heard Phil Hartman's voice, and then you saw the door <laughs> with the Continental, and then that's the part I liked about it the most. Um, so I'm gonna give it a one. Yeah, I you mean, give it a I zero like if you'd like to. he's funny, but I'm just like, I just can't really yeah. enjoy this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's funny. He's very funny, and there are combo. The episode I or the uh, the sketch I watched, there was a a joke about combos. I yes, I, I saw that the combo good. joke. Yes, that was good. You know, he's funny. Though. Love me a good combo joke. <laughs> um, and uh, Kurt, what did you think? I'm going to give it two. Um, you know, like I'm I'm a behind the scenes sort of dude. I'm I'm a director, writer, editor guy. So just um, just what just can't you do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure that out. What can I say? Um, but no, just seeing like the technical aspects of it, I always thought was like super impressive. Yeah. Even as a kid, I'm just like, wow, how are they doing this? Where's the other side of the room? Like they use the space incredibly well. And I think that's the one testament to the nine minute sketch that I think they get away with is that it's a little bit more cinematic. So you can move around the room longer and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it stretches as long, but it does. It's a long sketch and you feel it. There's a lot of repetition. 
Um, but it is fun. Like, I think his facial expressions are fun. I think his, del- his delivery and cadence is fun. He's entertaining to watch and it doesn't completely, something was appealing about this sketch that they made it to it. Like, you know, nine to yeah. 11 times. I'm not sure how many. Um, Nobody is. Definitely something to this <laughs> that someone latched onto. Um, wasn't us, <laughs> but it was, it was fun enough that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw him a two. All right. Well, thank you for being on today, Kurt. If our listeners wanted to find you or High Drama or Philly Sketchfest out in the world, where could we find you? Oh, man, we got those our name slash dot coms all over the place. So we're feeling good about that. But you can check us out on phillysketchfest.com. You can check us out on Facebook slash Philly Sketchfest. Um, you can check out High Drama um, through either our Facebook at High Drama with two M's. Right, that's that's say. very crucial. We got two M's in there because we silly, and um, and YouTube. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. But uh, man, we got some content that goes way back. So probably probably stay close to the, the the newer ones. Let's go with the newer ones there. Let's go back and see how your stuff aged. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I curated oh plenty God. of them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'll bet. Uh, good a good tweet culling. Uh, All right. Well, uh, Kurt Reedy, thank you for being on the show today. We really appreciated it. Um, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you to Amy Vance for uh, guest hosting. Amy, if our listeners wanted to find you um, out in the world, where could they do that? Wait, can I use my time to tell a very one minute, quick one minute story about Kurt? You can do whatever you'd like to do with your time. It might get cut, but no. (laughs) No, no, tell the story, tell the story, tell the story. Okay. Well, first of all, brickpenguin.com. That's my sketch group. Check it out. We have a sketch on Zoom about our Zoom fart sketch. It's on YouTube. But anyway, my my story about Kurt is that that, um, I don't know how this got started, but we went to Philly Sketch Fest and my sketch comedy group decided to print gigantic size heads of like the producers of Philly Sketch Fest. I don't know why we did this, but we were pandering probably. And I had Kurt's head, which was like bigger than, it was the size of Kurt, his whole body, in my hotel room. And like, as we were like putting the, the heads together on these sticks so that we could braid them around the stage. And I just remember thinking like, if I'm murdered in this hotel room, <laughs> And there's like this life, this life-size picture, bigger than life, of Kurt's head on my hotel room bed. Like this is, I can't imagine. Kurt's going down. Uh, I was gonna say, would I be the primary culprit? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You might, or maybe I don't know what what the authorities would think. But anyway, that's all I wanted to share. This isn't gonna make good audio, but in honor of the podcast, I decided. Ah! No. A lot of awesome. forehead awesome. there. Awesome. You know, it's a, a lot, a lot less grays. So I appreciate uh, having this as a commemorative piece. Of, God, it doesn't even look like you. <laughs> <laughs> he held up the, the head for do. those who can't see. He held yes, up the head. Yes, yes, he held up the head. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you to Kurt. Thank you to Amy. Uh, thank you to Isaiah. And thank you to Seth. Uh, I'm Andy Weld, and thanks for listening to another episode of Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. 
The Sketch Nerds Podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com. 